Good morning. Happy beginning of Thanksgiving week. Uh, great time for family to be coming home. I know we have some family that has come home to be with us this week, which is great, and we got more coming later. I hope you do as well, or you're with loved ones one way or another. Uh, we have a, some great scripture to look at this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 878 of most of the Bibles that are in front of you in your pews. And while you're turning to that, I'm going to get my little stand ready here. You may, we're going to be referring to that scripture kind of throughout, so you may want to keep it open, keep your Bibles open to that. Let me take us through it. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus, and by the way, my, my translation that I chose is the New Living Translation, so it has just a few words that are going to be different from what you may have in your Bible, but I just liked it better, so that's the way it is. <laughs> uh, Luke 19, chapter, or chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I have vague memories of that story as a kid in Sunday school. Uh, and if you attended a Protestant church much like this one uh, as a child, you probably uh, have some familiarity with that story too. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why it's a, uh, such a Sunday school favorite. Uh, definitely the idea of such a, a bad man still being loved by Jesus, that's pretty impression-making. Um, but I got a feeling it has more to do with just the vision of this important but little man climbing up this tree to get a look at Jesus. And that, I think, probably seems just kind of funny and maybe a little fascinating to a kid. Um, and then there's this cute little song that's often taught to go with it. And no, I don't remember the song. And <laughs> even if I did, I would not be singing it for you. You'd be thanking me for that. Uh, but if, if you are familiar with this story uh, as a kid's story, I, 
I just want to encourage you this morning to not let that familiarity keep you from seriously considering this encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus because it, it has so much here that we could spend hours talking about it. And I don't intend that for you this morning. Uh, but what I do intend is that at a minimum, we all come away this morning with a, with a great understanding of verse 10 and a memorization of verse 10. That's my hope this morning at a minimum. Uh, verse, I pick verse 10 because really the whole gospel is represented in that one verse. That verse, again, is, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I feel like that verse gets shortchanged sometimes. You know, John 3.16 seems to get all the press. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should never perish and have eternal life. Now, that's a pretty wonderful capture of the gospel in a verse right there. So I'm not knocking John 3.16 by any means. I just want to give Luke 19.10 the credit it deserves here as a, as a wonderful verse. Uh, and I also want to draw attention particularly to the part about seeking. Jesus tells us here that he came to seek and to save. And the part about saving, many of us are probably very familiar with, too. Uh, and that phrase, Jesus saves. You may see it a lot or hear it a lot. Jerry, Jeremy Camp has a, has a great song called Jesus Saves. Uh, you might even see it on billboards or bumper stickers or refrigerator magnets. Uh, there's, a, there's a Jesus Saves website. There's a Jesus Saves Facebook page. Jesus Seeks has none of that. And I hope today to put Jesus seeks on par with Jesus saves because he tells us here in verse 10 that he came to seek and to save. To me, that's uh, the, the two of those together. It's like milk chocolate and peanut butter combined together in a <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cup. It's just the perfect, yeah, I'm getting some thumbs up. It's the perfect combination of flavor. It just doesn't get any better. So, so let's start by examining each part of Luke 19.10. And we're going to see how that each part is presented in the story here of Zacchaeus and Jesus. And, um, and then we're going to drill down deeper into Jesus Seeks. So, verse 10 again is, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we're going to, we're going to simplify that. Uh, a little bit right now, and we're just going to paraphrase as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that old white sheet in your worship folder uh, has blanks where you can fill that in and follow along if you prefer to. So let's first discuss Jesus. That title, the Son of Man, is, uh, is apparently Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself because he, he uses that far more than any other title for himself. It's used dozens of times in the Bible and almost always by Jesus himself. 
Uh, it has a dual meaning. It, it uh, uh, refers to both his deity and his humanity. Uh, we know that because uh, when he used it, he used it many times to refer to his uh, godlike or divine roles, like being on the right hand of God the Father, um, or being the Son of God, or coming again with great glory and power to establish God's heaven on earth. Uh, Son of Man is used in those ways. But it also uh, clearly has a reference to his humanity, that he was born a child uh, by a human mother, and was raised to manhood, and walked among men, and was ultimately suffer, he ultimately suffered at the hands of men. So why did he prefer this title when he had so many other more divine titles like uh, Son of God, King of Kings, Prince of Peace? There are many more that he could have preferred, but he preferred Son of Man. And I love what 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon surmised about that. He said, It seems to me that Christ loved manhood so much that he always desired to honor it. And since it is, it is a high honor, and indeed the greatest dignity of manhood, that Jesus Christ was the Son of Man, he is wont to display this name, that he may, as it were, put rich stars upon the breast of manhood, and put a crown upon its head. Son of man, whenever he said that word, he seemed to put a halo round the head of Adam's children. Loving manhood this much would explain why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And by the way, uh, it's pretty hard to word things better than Charles Spurgeon. Uh, so I'm going to actually use some of his words a few more times this morning. Uh, just to give you warning about that. Uh, all right, so who was Jesus to Zacchaeus? Well, it's a pretty safe bet that Zacchaeus had heard quite a bit about Jesus. Uh, this was, Jesus was pretty notorious at this point because it's at the end, near the end of his ministry. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem where he will be uh, crucified. Um, thousands were flocking to him everywhere he went. Uh, his healings and his miracles would be pretty juicy news, and we all know how, even without smartphones and Facebook, how fast juicy news spreads. Uh, Jericho, by the way, which is the city that we're in here, is a crossroad, so people were traveling into the city, bringing news, and then they were carrying news to wherever they were going. Um, Bethany... Uh, was just, for example, was just a couple hours walk, and Bethany is the place where Jesus had not long ago raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, it's quite uh, quite likely that that news had reached Jericho. Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, and by the way, a tax collector this time was not the noble profession that it is today. <laughs> I want to go on record as saying that. In case the IRS is listening. Uh, it was a whole lot more like organized crime that was sanctioned by the Roman occupying power. And, um, uh, and, and Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, he, 
he very likely, word would have spread amongst his circle of fellow tax collectors and, and outcasts and sinners that Jesus was known to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And perhaps even that word had gotten to them that Matthew, a tax collector, had been called by Jesus to be one of his closest disciples. So, even before encountering Jesus face-to-face, Zacchaeus is very likely would have known of the man of Jesus and, and, and thought that he at least is someone who has some pretty impressive power. Um, and he may have even heard of Jesus' claims to be the Son of God. By, and we'll see, that, and we, uh, we saw in the Scripture, and we're going to talk more about it, by the end of their time together, by the end of this encounter, Zacchaeus recognized who Jesus was completely and had, had called him his Lord and Savior and repented and had accepted Jesus' assurance of his salvation. Well, now let's look at the, at the truth that Jesus came. Jesus came to save the approaching Christmas season is all about, all about this, that Jesus came to be with us. The Bible describes that Jesus is fully God in John chapter 1. It's one place we see that in the beginning was the Word, which is referring to Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the Bible then describes how Jesus, who creator of everything, humbled himself to come to us as a man. And actually, he didn't even come as a man. He came as a helpless little baby the same way every one of us came into this world. The angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, the the woman who was to be his mother, and told her that she would bear a child by the power of God, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, if if this idea that God is, or or that, that Jesus is God, who came to us and is also fully man, if that's, new to you or, or, or still feels like a bizarre tale to you, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad you are here. Uh, there's a whole lot more we can talk about, and I invite you to keep coming and keep asking questions about that so you can fully understand what Christmas is all about because that's what it is all about. But for today, for today I want to use some more words from Charles Spurgeon to describe this incredible truth. He said, When he resolved to come, it was an act of matchless grace. If he had not chosen to come, he would still have been the ever-blessed Son of the Highest, enshrined in everlasting glory, though every one of us would have perished. His coming was infinite goodness, returning good for evil, coming down to our lost estate and determining by superabundant affection, to save us from it. 
Our Savior is embodied grace, incarnate love, and his mission is grace itself. And not only had Jesus come into this world, but here he was in Jericho coming down the road to Zacchaeus. So Jesus, uh, his coming became very real and very personal to Zacchaeus very quickly. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. So, Jesus came, and we're going to skip to seek for now, come back to that, and let's talk about to save. Jesus came to save. That is indeed his mission, to save. And that's what uh, God's been working towards since the very big moment that sin first entered this world. He made us to be with him. But because of our own choices, we created separation between him and us. And since then, God's plan has been for the Son, Jesus, to come and bring us to God, to save us from the death that, that, is, that results from separation from God. And the verse I mentioned before, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, the only way that, that separation between us and God can ever be eliminated is for our sin to be washed away. It has to be forgiven and washed away. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. <clears throat> he took upon himself all the sin that ever was and ever will be. And by us giving him that and him enduring the punishment for it, that washed away our sin. That's how he saved us from the death that we experience apart from God. And he demonstrated that by conquering death himself. He says, I have overcome the world. Now, how does that translate to us? Who is it that overcomes the world among us? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Placing your faith in him is how salvation happens. Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus. We know that because in verse 9, Jesus pronounces, Salvation has come to this home today. And Jesus went further and he gave the reason for, uh, for Zacchaeus', Zacchaeus salvation as his faith demonstrated by his actions. He said, For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Well, what is... What does that mean, a true son of Abraham? Abraham was an important character in the Bible and a key part of God's plan for, uh, for eliminating the separation between God and man. And uh, uh, Abraham was credited as being a man of faith. In Galatians, we see that Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and that is what made him righteous. It says, understand then that those who have faith 
are children of Abraham. By, by exclaiming that Zacchaeus was a true son of Abraham, Jesus was saying that Zacchaeus had real faith in God. And we know also from, uh, from James, uh, who also wrote about Abraham, he said, you see that his faith, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So that's just what Jesus was saying about Zacchaeus, that he has shown himself by his actions to have real faith in God, and that is what saved him. So let's now talk about the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Maybe the simplest way to think about the lost is to recall the story from John chapter 8. Some religious leaders who were very careful to follow all of the religious rules, were, they, brought, they, they had caught a woman in adultery. And they brought this woman to Jesus at the temple where a crowd formed around them as they confronted Jesus with this woman. It says, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And as the crowd builds, and Jesus pauses thoughtfully and then responds, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. Not a stone was thrown. <clears throat> the crowd of people dispersed one at a time, uh, each one realizing that they too were lost. They, they may not have been lost because of adultery or because they extorted uh, money like a tax collector of the day would, but unless they were without any sin, they were lost. There, there are no degrees of lostness in God's eyes. You're either lost or you are found and saved. And uh, since sin entered this world when Adam and Eve took those bites out of that apple, uh, every human being enters this world lost. And we demonstrate that by our words and our actions and our thoughts as we go through life on this earth until we are found and saved. And when that happens, our tendency to sin doesn't necessarily stop, but it can be overcome by the grace of God, the saving grace of God. Now, no one would argue that the fact that Zacchaeus was lost. If you took a poll in Jericho as to who would be the least likely person in Jericho to have Jesus in their home today, Zacchaeus would have won by a landslide. Uh, in society's eyes, Zacchaeus had at least three strikes against him. One, he was one of these crooked tax collectors. Uh, two, 
he was a really bad crooked tax collector because he extorted so much money that he was wealthy because of it. And three, he was uh, working for and collaborating with the enemy occupying Romans. So he was a traitor as well. In God's eyes, Zacchaeus had put his faith in money and not in God. He was clearly lost. And though he was clearly lost, he was not the only one lost in this story, in this encounter. If you remember, verse 7 says that after Jesus went with Zacchaeus to his house, the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And I, I suppose there were probably grumblers in that crowd around the adulterous woman with stones in their hands. But they realized that they are no better than her in the eyes of God, that they are lost too. There are no degrees of lostness. You were either lost or you have been found and saved. Finally, let us focus on to seek. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The truth that we are all lost until we are found and saved would be pretty distressing if we had no hope of being found and saved, or little hope even of being found and saved. But because Jesus seeks, we can be full of hope. Jesus didn't leave it at the Son of Man came to save. If he had, then his sacrifice for us would have gone unused. We know that because God tells us that that there is no one righteous and there is no one who seeks God. Jesus himself taught us that No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So the only way we come to Jesus is if he seeks us first. I'm going to use Spurgeon's words again here. He said, ask the shepherd whether his sheep come back, and he will tell you, no, sir. They will wander, but they never return. When you find a sheep that ever came back of himself, then you may hope to find a sinner that will come to Christ of himself. No, it must be sovereign grace that must seek the sinner and bring him home. Just as there is no one righteous without the saving grace of God, there is no one who seeks God without the seeking grace. Of God. And thankfully, God has grace enough to do both. You are sought after. Jesus was seeking after Zacchaeus. It might seem it was the other way around, uh, but we just learned that it doesn't work that way. What made Zacchaeus climb that tree? The scripture doesn't explicitly tell us why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus so badly, and he he evidently wanted to see him badly. Uh, He uh, 
a man in Zacchaeus's position didn't run, certainly didn't climb trees. Uh, being a wealthy man, he probably had abundant food and little exercise, so he was probably a little chubby. And, uh, you know, he wasn't wearing Nikes. Um, so all of those things, he was short. Uh, all those things would combine and make climbing a tree pretty difficult, but he did it, so he must have wanted to see Jesus pretty badly. The question is why. We, we do know some things that could give us a pretty good guess as to why. He, we know he was wealthy, but we also know that many who are wealthy do not feel loved. And it's clear that, uh, that Zacchaeus was despised generally by everyone. Good Jews wouldn't even associate with sinners uh, like Zacchaeus because they were unclean. Pardon me for doing all that, but that applies in this case. Uh, the only people that would be willing to be around Zacchaeus would be other outcasts and other sinners because they were already unclean. Jews wouldn't associate with a person like that. It would make them unclean. So there's, there's plenty of reason to believe that Zacchaeus, um, he could have been feeling something missing in his life. He could have been feeling unloved. He, he may not have even known what he was, why he was feeling whatever it was he was feeling. Um, but there was something that, that made him climb that tree, and that something was God seeking him. If there was any doubt about that, it was eliminated when Jesus walked up to him. Can you imagine how Zacchaeus felt when he, when he realized that he was being sought after? It, it makes me think of a, of a, of a hiker uh, that is lost in the woods. And, and we experience that in this part of the country pretty regularly. A hiker in the Cascades veers off trail or takes the wrong trail uh, and is out there cold and hungry and scared. And, um, and if you're out there for very long, it may start to seem very hopeless, like no one cares. But imagine if you're that hiker, the feeling that you get when you finally see a rescue helicopter overhead. Someone knows I'm lost, and they are seeking me. What a feeling of elation that would create. And we see that that's what Zacchaeus felt. Verse 6 says, Zacchaeus took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. The truth that we are sought after ought to give us that kind of feeling of excitement and joy. That someone seeks us. Now, Jesus... He didn't seek Zacchaeus by standing in front of a big crowd and saying, all of those who are feeling lost, come on down. There may be a time for that too, but there wouldn't be anybody who responded to that unless they had first been personally sought by Jesus. Another pastor, I'm going to use his words, Stephen Cole said, Jesus does not call the mass of humanity to himself, 
hoping against hope that somehow, somewhere, someone will respond and come to him. Rather, he calls individuals by name. It is always personal. It is always personal with Jesus. Jesus came right down the road towards Zacchaeus. He came right up to that tree, and he looked right up at Zacchaeus, and he said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. He had never, Jesus the man had never seen Zacchaeus before. He'd never seen that little tax collector before. But he had seen his lost soul before. And so he called him by name. Jesus can seek us in strange ways sometimes. It was pretty odd for Zacchaeus to be up in that tree. And uh, you, may, you may not know why you opened the drawer in that hotel room and then opened the Bible up that was in there. You may not know why uh, you're, you have this feeling that you should pick up the phone and call that friend that you have lost contact with. You may not know why you even came through these auditorium doors this morning or why it feels like God is speaking to you directly today through his word. But I, I can assure you that Jesus seeks. And uh, while you may not have the benefit of Jesus the man being a guest in your home, Jesus seeks and he will find a way to come close to where you live and seek your heart. So when you experience that, when you experience Jesus seeking you, what, do you, what next? Well, we see from Zacchaeus that it's, it is best to respond urgently. After Jesus told him, quick, come down, what did Zacchaeus do? He didn't say, who, me? He didn't say, no, no, thanks, I'm good. Uh, he, he didn't say, uh, why are you, who are you to give me orders? He didn't respond in any of those ways. Verse 6 says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. And, uh, and then when Jesus, Jesus said, I must be a guest in your home today, Zacchaeus didn't say, well, you know, today's really not a good day. <laughs> you know, hoping that the whole thing might get ignored. And, and he didn't say, well, could it be maybe later this evening, thinking maybe I could run a broom or wash up some dishes or something. Uh, it says that after he quickly climbed down, it says he took Jesus to his house. He came down from the tree. He took Jesus to his house. It's, it's tempting to put off responding to Jesus, and it's easy to do so in a world with you know, so many distractions. Now, you hesitate, and your mind is off on something else. And then you forget. And I wonder how many of us today are still lost because we have been slow to respond. And I wonder how many of us will, will be slow to respond and, and, uh, and time will run out. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus told a story of a man like that. A rich farmer who had crops so abundant that he couldn't fit them all into his barns. And so he thought about that, and he said, well, the, you know, 
I'll build bigger barns because I'm going to store up all of the abundant crops for myself so that I can take life easy and eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We, we have a tendency to try just about every other option for happiness and fulfillment and leave Jesus as a last resort. And, uh, but I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Until you are found and saved, it's, it's risky to be slow to respond to Jesus seeking you. So, and then, after being sought personally by Jesus and responding urgently, the result is a changed life. A changed life. If Jesus wouldn't have sought Zacchaeus, then Zacchaeus would never have climbed that tree. And if Zacchaeus had not made it personal, I mean, if Jesus had not made it personal with Zacchaeus, calling him by name, inviting himself to his house, then Zacchaeus may never have paid attention. <clears throat> and if Zacchaeus had not responded urgently to Jesus, then, then uh, it would have been really tempting for Zacchaeus to make excuses uh, to get distracted, and just keep on looking elsewhere for happiness and fulfillment. But Jesus did seek him. And because of that, everything changed. Now Zacchaeus was saved from the unfulfilling and finite life that he had been living. And, uh, and he was assured of knowing God and experiencing eternal life with him. Zacchaeus was so changed by his salvation that he couldn't help but change his behavior. Now, what he had put his, all his faith in before, money, he was gladly giving to the poor and making restitution many times over with all of those he had cheated. Is Zacchaeus better off now? Would we be better off by becoming a new person through the seeking and saving grace of God? I'll let, I'll let God respond to that through the words of Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me invite you to just bow your heads with me and
it's good to be together and hear God's word. And I, I just, I, I know that uh, there's, there's truth in here that may raise questions for some, that may be new to some, and, um, and I just encourage you to, um, you know, to, to, to let, let me know or let our other elders know if, uh, if you want to talk about any of this. I encourage you to keep coming and learning more. Um, if, if you are today feeling uh, Jesus seeking you, and you want to explore that and respond to that, then I encourage you too to to let me or let someone know, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, help you through it and pray with you. And uh, now I let us let us turn to the Father and pray, Heavenly Father. I I I thank you, Lord, that uh, that you did send your Son Jesus to seek us and to save us from being lost. Uh, what, a, uh, what grace you have and what, what awesome mercy you have in doing so. And I pray for all of us that uh, that, that be a life-changing truth for us, uh, that it become real for us and that we re- as we respond urgently to it, and that we uh, and that we play a role through prayer and other ways of um, of helping our loved ones to understand that same message. I pray in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.